This is Beyond Ag, a podcast dedicated to intellectual conversations with leaders and influencers of agriculture. I'm your host, Isaiah Pruitt. Today's episode is sponsored by the LaRue County Office of Kentucky Farm Bureau Insurance, Price Smith, Agency Manager. Today we have with us Brandon Davis, who is the State Advisor for Kentucky FFA and an Agricultural Education Consultant at the Kentucky Department of Education. Welcome, Mr. Davis, to Beyond Ag, and how are you? I'm doing fine, Isaiah. Thank you very much for the invite and being able to join you today. Thank you for joining. Uh, So this pandemic, uh, it it really has changed schools a whole. We were just talking about it before um, we started here, uh, not only here in the present, but it has changed how we can and will plan in the future. Uh, I might be a tiny bit biased, but I feel like this whole education change has really taken a toll and will continue to on agricultural education. So, you know, what are some of your thoughts on, you know, how this has changed ag education, FFA, and the things we do um, that usually desires a lot of in-person instruction? No doubt that since the middle of March that how education as a whole, well, obviously life as a whole, has changed, but specifically, you know, when we're talking about agricultural education and FFA, there was some adjustments and continues to be adjustments that have to be made. I will say that, uh, and this was actually a statement made by uh, someone that sits on the Kentucky FFA Foundation Board of Trustees and kind of reflecting after we had our virtual state convention, uh, he made the comment, said, you know, a lot of things stopped uh, when COVID hit Lots of, uh, I mean, regular in-person school stop, lots of extracurriculars and sports, and but agricultural education uh, and FFA kept on. Uh, now, obviously, we had to move to some different formats, but we saw that <clears throat> I mean, we had ag programs that still operated their greenhouses uh, that were taking orders online, even though they'd never done that, or you know, had people that were pulling up, taking orders, and keeping, you know, following CDC guidelines and protocol. We had teachers doing virtual visits to student-supervised agriculture experience projects. We saw some of our FA regions moving to, that hadn't had their regional competitions yet, moved to virtual format. So, really what we saw is that we kept doing pretty much everything that we normally do in agricultural education, we just did it a different way. Now, there's not a single person you talk to that would say, boy, I sure do like not being able to go to convention in person. Uh, No one definitely would ever say that. But for us, when I say us, I'm talking about the Ag Ed state staff. For us, you know, it was always about how do we try to maintain normal and provide opportunities for students? And that's, a pretty easy task for us when teachers locally have the same desire. Uh, and that's what, <clears throat> when we saw uh, virtual banquets uh, happen uh, because the regular end of, per- end of year banquet couldn't be held in person. When we just have seen a number of, of folks that have maintained uh, as much normalcy as they can. So, but I think the hardest part looking forward, because I'm kind of talking about what we have done. Looking forward, one of the harder things definitely is the fact that we don't know how long 
our current situation will be like it is or when it'll change drastically, either for better or for worse. And that's what makes planning for the future hard. I mean, in, and I don't put a lot of stock into all the talking heads in the media in the terms of the predictions, because we already know that no one has a really good idea. And it's one of those things like, should we be prepared to do this for another two months, you know, for a year, which I say that is God forbid, but, and, and I think that's a mentally draining thing. I was talking to some other folks the other day. It's the, for me, the hardest thing mentally is just not knowing like how long I'm in this, this normal uh, for now. I'm going to call it the new normal, the current normal, and hopefully we go back to the old normal. But the, I really just appreciate the fact of teachers and everyone that has maintained, we're going to keep on going. It's not in our best, you know, it's not in the best format. It's not how we want it to be, but this is what we're supposed to do. You know, the, the Ag Teacher's Creed is by choice and not by chance. And, you know, you can choose to be, uh, you know, effective educator regardless of your circumstances. Uh, two weeks ago, we had our virtual professional development for teachers, a week-long session, virtual sessions uh, that covered everything from, you know, how do you, engage students in ag power activities when you're virtual to how do you address implicit bias and everything in between. And it's just, we're, we continue to move forward and move on. And I think that's what we have to do in these times. We just can't sit and kind of twiddle our thumbs and be mad that we can't do what we normally do the way we've always done it. And, and that's, that's inspiring. It is exhausting to have to make those changes and adjustment, but at the same time, when you see these folks that are making it happen, it's really, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I know one of the things I was always really worried about through this whole thing, and especially because I was in a, a shop class before school ended, um, is how, you know, the ag teachers that run shop classes, especially with welding and greenhouses and things like that, like you, I, you for safety reasons, most of the time, you have to stay close knit. Um, so I was, I was always nervous and I've learned that, you know, Mr. Thomas, my ag teacher that runs our shop, you know, he, I know he's working hard to adapt, especially since we got a brand new greenhouse that is much larger. Um, so we can kind of socially distance there. And I know wearing a mask in there is miserable. Uh, I tried it last week um, as a restart video for our district and they had us in the greenhouse with masks on. And I was like, oh gosh, I can never do this. <laughs> Hopefully every day, I, I just, I don't know how Mr. Thomas will get through it. Um, cause I mean, it is just, I mean, the overwhelming heat already happening outside, then you got to put the mask on. And so, um, uh, I know ag teachers are made for this and you just said that, you know, ag teachers by choice, not by chance. So uh, I think they were really made for this and education really has been made for this too. I mean, we've already been transitioning to online learning for the past 10 years since I've been, you know, starting middle school. I know we've really hit laptops and online digital learning really hard. So. I think you kind of covered it already, but what changes do you foresee uh, to FFA and agricultural education in the coming months and, you know, God forbid, years? Um, and what are some changes that you think we'll see just this year alone in 2020? Yeah, I, I really feel like what we have saw kind of has, has, over the last few months, given us a little indication about how we're going to proceed. And... I've tried to think back to a time in my life before COVID that I could say 
this was kind of the equivalent in the fact that we were forced into something and then really found a great way or a great way, found some opportunities that we hadn't really thought about. And I'm not sure that there's anything that probably compares over the last 38 years for me, but you know, when we first knew that we were going to have to do some of these FFA events virtual, and when we shared that with teachers, there was obviously some concern about connectivity and those types of things. But I can tell you that when we did the FFA state speaking contest and those events virtual, the issues really were not related to students didn't know how to connect or didn't have access. It was, I mean, really the issues were a student schedule or, or kind of odd end things. And for me and for some of the other state staff, because we were forced into this virtual existence, we've had to have a number of meetings with different groups virtually. And we've kind of started chatting about there's sometimes when we can save a whole lot of time and money and people's resources by moving some meetings virtual, not all meetings. You know, we don't want, there's some stuff we should not have to do virtual, like conventions and conferences. But there's probably some meetings that we can have that very much can be virtual. And I'm not gonna go into all the, I'm not gonna steal all the state officers thunder, because uh, that'll come later with, for them. But last week uh, at the, you know, early August when met with the state officers and we were talking about the Rising Sun Conference always happens in the around the it's going to happen like the 17th, 18th, 19th of September. That that's normally an in-person a Friday evening, Saturday till lunch conference. That's going to be virtual, uh, and that team really took the opportunity to say because it's virtual, then now how can we make this the best thing possible? And the fact of the matter is that when we remove travel as a barrier that we could have more people attend Rising Sun Conference on this virtual platform than we have in person. Obviously, we don't know until it happens exactly how many we'll have, but that opportunity is there. So just being able to possibly connect with members that way, then the state officers are also looking at this because people are very fluent or getting fluent in virtual meetings using Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google Hangout, whatever it is, that that provides the state officers the ability to connect with members kind of quickly, with chapter officers to have conversations to, in a way that probably in the past was a little more challenging. So I think what we're going to see in the coming months at least is that there's going to be this ability from an FFA standpoint, the state officer standpoint, to build some really strong local connections with chapters because it's a whole lot easier in terms of time and energy for most folks to be able to jump on a Zoom call together and say, hey, what's happening in your chapter? Or even as a region, you know, have 10 chapters and if one or two people from every chapter got together, and say, hey, what's going on with you all? Where if we had to say, we want to get 10 chapters physically in the same place together, if you just think from a school standpoint, you've got to get the approval and you've got to, you know, clear schedules and get people there and all the other, I mean, with the Zoom meeting, you just kind of say, we're going to meet from 
you know, nine o'clock to 10 o'clock today, just get on the call. So I think that's one of the big changes we're gonna see. Now, obviously from some of the competition side, those things continue to be pieces that, that we have to develop. The basically outside of state fair, the next significant competition would be in November, Murray State uh, hosts the vet science and the poultry uh, career development events. As of the time we're reporting, the plan is everything's going to maintain. Obviously, stuff can happen within a month, two months, and that could change. So that's kind of the next, I guess, really event, also outside of national convention, which we already know those changes that are going to happen. So uh, I think, I mean, the biggest thing for us, we're going to see making adjustments uh, to maintain what we normally do as best we can. Sometimes, you know, some things you just cannot move to virtual or are not conducive to the format. And for us, it really, we obviously are in some way from a state level at the mercy of the local districts, which I mean, all education is local, concept is very true in local decision-making. But if we're at 50% of the schools say you can travel and 50% of the schools say you can't, we're gonna to have to exist in that space where we have to continue to provide opportunities for everyone. Uh, I think one of the hardest things for us will when we get to that point of some schools will say you can go places and some say you can't. And so then how do you, you can't have two different conferences. You'd have to move it all together. You know, if you're gonna do a, a, a 212 conference or a state convention or whatever, that's where the hard work I think will really be. Uh, I hope we get to the point where everyone just says, yes, you can travel now. Uh, and uh, then we can totally move from one format to the other. But uh, our, our hope and prayer is that as long as we can, we maintain normal, uh, even if it requires adjustments as much as we possibly can, uh, just so that all students, all teachers, uh, all of our stakeholders can continue to reap the benefits of AGED and FFA without, you know, we don't want to sacrifice any of the quality programs or opportunities that we have out there. You know, and I, I think the thing that scares me the most is being a senior FFA officer at my chapter is um, the, the scary decline I think we're going to see in FFA membership because of schools not allowing non-essential personnel. So state officers that normally come in in the first of the year, you know, I think that freshman ag members, that's when they're trying to figure out what they want to do. Do they want to really do FFA or is ag class just for fun? And I think once, at least I know for me, it, it just the I was already going to be an FFA, but I knew it just it it strengthened my it strengthened my love for the organization because I seen how passionate the state officers were my freshman year. So um, all I can do is hope and pray um, that we don't see that decline. But it, it it's something that I, I think is especially on the mind of you and the state officers that you know what's how how is our membership going to take a hit from this because we cannot see. Uh, state officers or even and I told you in my case before this we're doing an alternating schedule so 50% of the officers or even more than that they might not be able to see also and this is a conversation we've been having with the state officers for over a month now and they during the first of August they basically got training and have been working on virtual workshops 
uh, where normally they would be going into schools, standing physically in front of a group of, you know, any group of students, but it's usually a lot, large times uh, freshmen, ninth grade students. And so they are transitioning to be able to, starting on, uh, they started on September 1, to be able to offer up these workshops virtually in trying to provide the content that teachers would normally like for them to have. And to what you're saying with membership, that is, that's one of those areas we have no idea what that's gonna look like. We spend some time in the Rising Sun Conference is a big focus, uh, focus of what they're gonna have is gonna be around about how do you recruit and retain members during a pandemic. And we were making a list of, why, of reasons why students join FFA. And, you know, the, the question in, as an FFA nerd, uh, like you have admitted that you are, and most state officers and folks are, the reason was, you know, for me, like my dad and my uncle were both in FFA. Like I knew I had an affinity for it. I was, I was going to be in FFA. But one of the state officers said, well, we've got members that they really joined because they, uh, the field trips. And so if those are gone, then what's the motivation? And so this is, I think in a weird way, gonna kind of force us to step back and say, all right, aside from the, the fun stuff, which is good, I'm not anti-fun stuff, but aside from those fun things, why do you join FFA? And really helping members see the benefit of it outside of I get out of class or, you know, whatever that may be. And, and so they spent a lot of time during the, the that beginning of August in their training and planning for Rising Sun Conference and really kind of diving into how do you recruit and retain so that they can give those resources to chapters to help them recruit and retain you know, their membership because it is going to be different. And it's, I mean, heaven forbid, if you were, this whole school year was going to be virtual, it's really challenging to think, why should I pay dues to an organization if in you know if my school is completely virtual and it is all year what is the benefit of spending you know 12 15 20 dollars whatever the dues are locally to be a part of that uh, and there is still benefit without question uh, depending on the student's motivation you gotta make sure that you can speak to those so that will be a uh, membership is definitely something that we have no concept of what it's going to look like, but uh, we're definitely going to try to do all we can to support chapters to help them maintain and provide opportunities for folks to become to be members and be able to get engaged in FFA at the same time. Yeah, and I think I can I can build off of you know reasoning. I'm a, I'm a competitive junkie, so ever since about eighth grade, I learned um, that my mom was a state officer for FFA in uh, 95, 96, I believe. Please don't hold me to that. And if my mom's listening, I'm sorry if I got it wrong. Um, but I've always wanted to beat her out in things. She's, and I've seen so much of what she's become, such a leader in the community. Um, and she's never scared to back down from a challenge. And I, I know she got that from FFA. And I even know that more now because of what FFA has taught me. Um, so I am, I'm ready to see um, the challenge that new FFA members are going to be presented with. Um, because, the, I mean, this is a test of, of faith to this organization, to faith to agriculture. 
um, because of so much happening. And as you, as you say, and you keep on saying, I mean, we just don't know how things are going to truly and honestly look um, for the next months and heaven forbid for the next year. Um, so again, you probably covered this a lot anyways, um, but how has agriculture necessarily played a role in your life? And how do you think that the current classes of agriculture students are, are changing agriculture, especially in this uncertain and unprecedented time? You know, for, for me, I grew up uh, in Greene County uh, on a, a family farm where my parents still are today. And uh, we had beef cattle and hay and had dairy for a while. And we even like back in the craze of, which I guess, gosh, we've been early 2000s, late 90s, we did the worm thing, uh, which was crazy now looking back, but hey, you know, that's agriculture. We're, you know, we were crazy before, you know, everyone was doing hemp, we were doing worms. So if you think, you know, some people are like, hemp's crazy. Well, at least they're not growing worms. So, uh, and, uh, I'll say Billy Ray Smith and both Commissioner Quarles, like whenever I see them, it always somehow works into the conversation about that. I'm like, that was 20 years ago, you know, and you still, still are mentioning that. But uh, for me, agriculture has always been part of my life. And it's been, you know, when I look at the current class of students and when I think about the state officers now, recent state officers, is that there's, and this is just times of generations. I mean, you have that, the, the young optimism, kind of the vision of technology. When we look at just, there's so many things that the way agriculture moves at such a fast pace in, in terms of advancements, uh, even though there's a number of people that, that really don't see all the depths of it because it is so ingrained in, from the production side and even the processing side. And when we look at students, we have less students, obviously, that are from a production background. And so people, you know, are, you know, they're kind of like, oh gosh, you know, we're losing that good demographic. Well, the fact of the matter is, there's just less people that are living in rural areas. There's just less farm. I mean, that's, it's not that we've lost anything by our, our efforts in terms of we're not recruiting those students. There's just less of those. At the same time, I, I've always said that everyone's a consumer. And we always have to have educated consumers. And agriculture is full of, you know, there's all kinds of occupations that relate to agriculture that are not production. We, all the time we talk about only 2% are farmers and they feed the world, that's true. But if only 2% are farmers, that means all of our ag students can't be in production agriculture. Uh, we need people that are in the processing and the business side. We need them in environmental and natural resources. We need them in the biotechnology fields and the food sciences. We need them everywhere. And that's, seeing students now, they're embracing technology so well and it's gonna move agriculture ahead in such a crazy way. And one of our focuses, uh, I was I had some phone calls last week, is really about how do we put into the hands of teachers the knowledge and resources that reflect the advancement of agriculture. And uh, that's, one of the harder things to educate students on concepts that are new today, but in three years will be old. And so having to totally regurgitate and retain and reshape and reform these concepts is a real challenge. But in order for students to be competitive in the workplace and to be able to move things forward, that's what we have to provide. Students are very up on technology and it's just making sure that we have classroom resources that will allow them to be able to 
to utilize those and to be proficient so that when they enter the workforce, you know, they're ready to start doing the work that's expected of them. And so I'm very excited about the, the class of, of students that are coming through. Every, every year, uh, we just start seeing small changes and then we look back over 10 years, we can just see how much uh, things have moved over time. And this group of students, uh, socially, they very much are probably as inclined as any group uh, to understand inclusion and to see less division. I think than probably previous generations, just in the fact of the time that they've grown up in, COVID is obviously gonna help, help really build resilience and understanding how we can be connected in a very distant world uh, when we physically can't be together. So these things, while they're challenging, I really think we're gonna come out the other end and say, because of this, like we've become proficient and comfortable with things that will help us do great things moving forward. I'm not happy that we have to do all of these things, definitely. I wish there was other ways, but I think students are more resilient than the adults are. Therefore, they're probably going to get a lot more ingrained that they're going to use to help in the future uh, than we realize. And in 5, 10, 20 years, I think we'll look back and say, yeah, that time with COVID was rough, but we did come out of it uh, with some with some young people that were really, you know, on point and ready to do some great work. Um, so I want to, I didn't want to interrupt you, um, but I wanted to, I, I didn't, I was not born, I was born in 2002. Um, so tell me about this growing worms thing. I've never heard, I mean, I've heard of this, but I've never actually known anybody to ask. Like, so what is all this growing worms thing about? Well, and this was, gosh, it, the, the basic concept, because when I, this is what everyone always said, like when you talked about when it was kind of new before anyone knew about it, they're like, what do you raise these for? Like for the, you know, for the purpose of like fishing? Uh, because actually the thing is you're not growing worm, you're not growing worms for the worms, you're growing worms for the castings, which is what you call worm manure. And from basically like a, somewhat like a fertilizer, like a, you know, almost like a potting soil type of thing. So the idea is that you have like, uh, I think horse manure was supposed to be the big thing. You had these big, like, almost like windrows on concrete slabs, and then you had worms that were in it, and just as they process it, then what you end up with, these worm castings, if you will, are supposed to be great fertilizer and all this stuff. And then, so you sell the casting, you sell the dirt, if you will, it's not dirt, but just for sake of easy terminology. Um, so, yeah, so that was it, and um, it was it was one of those things. I call it the ostriches. That, that This is way back before your time. Um, like I can remember when I was much younger, ostriches got to be a big thing. So people were like, everyone has, not everyone has ostriches, but people did. This was going to be a big deal. I can remember the state fair when there was an ostrich grower booth under the big tent, the <laughs> tent. I, that's my one and only ostrich burger was there. It was not good. Maybe I just had a bad one that day. I'm not anti-ostrich meat by any stretch, but, uh, so this was kind of, so this worm thing, I, I kind of look back and say that was kind of ostriches. Um, there was some market for it, but you know, not nearly like you can build a build a lifestyle off of that. So, you know, that was kind of an interesting experimentation time of the of the Davis family uh, and other folks around uh, Kentucky. So, yeah, that's worms. So, I definitely just got a unique title about. I'm going to find a way to put in growing worms and ostrich burgers into this title. Um, yeah. If nothing else, it'll people will be like, I've got to see what that's all about. You know? So, yeah, and it's perfect. It's, it'll make them it'll make them go to the end here where. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but that, I've never heard I've never heard ostrich burgers either. Like I thought the most unique thing at the fair was always the donut burger. Now I've learned there was an yeah. ostrich burger. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, like I said. This seems forever ago. That probably was twenty years ago or so. No, no, it would have been like twenty five years ago or something, I guess. And it was I'm not sure what the the end product if the eggs were supposed to be the big thing or the meat like when ostrich just started, but. I can remember a, a veterinarian in Greene County had some ostriches, you know, that's kind of like, woohoo, this is the big thing. And, and I don't think it was a, around very long, but it was kind of one of those, you know, and ag does that every now and then they kind of find this interesting thing. They jump on for a little while and then it's just like anything. It's, it's my thing about hemp. Always say, I think hemp can be wonderful and great. And th there just always has to be a market for anything. That's just how agriculture works. You know, if, you have a product without a market, then you just have, you know, that's when supply exceeds demand and that's when you have no prices. And uh, so I've always said, whatever it is, whether it's worm castings or ostriches or, you know, as long as there's a market for it, that's outstanding. And uh, I think the problem sometimes in ag, we try to jump ahead of the market uh, and get in so that when the market exists, we're well established that works out really well as long as the market shows up. If the market never shows up, then you just don't have anything. Yeah. You've got a lot of worms. Yeah. Know? I know farmers are opportunity chasers. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, you always talk about the importance of diversifying, you know, your, your agriculture, you know, your production, you don't have it all in one thing, which makes sense. It's sometimes when you get out on those fringes, you know, where, you take the higher risk, obviously, that it could pay off really well, but it's also a risk. And farmers are great at risk management, but the thing about it, you don't always win when it comes to risk management. You just hope you win more than you lose. Yeah. Um, so I'll ask you this last question. Uh, so what do you see as the uh, most pressing issue in agriculture right now? For, for me, the most pressing issue, and this is COVID, I think, has only put a brighter spotlight on it, uh, is access, rural, access to rural broadband, uh, really. Uh, and that may seem more of a social issue for some, but we have known for a long time, uh, well before COVID, that the connectivity in rural communities is nothing to what it is in more urban areas. Then we saw when COVID did hit with NTI and students trying to access schoolwork, does it, for some, it didn't matter if they had a computer or not, if they didn't have the ability to access it. And you just saw last week, uh, or I guess you saw the beginning of August, end of July, you know, Farm Bureau came out that they're going to be uh, working on where uh, some free Wi-Fi, like around their county offices, that people can access if they don't uh, have Wi-Fi at home, which, is a great opportunity in the fact of the matter is that we've just got so many people that struggle uh, to stay connected, especially in these times where that's the only way we really can be connected until we can meet in person. And I even think to go on, when we did state officer interviews, you know, the, in June was that we had a couple of candidates that really had terrible uh, connectivity uh, and they were able to still interview, you know, and, couple times we had to like reschedule them because one time there was a storm going through uh, I think it was West Kentucky and like the internet connection was bad and like it's kind of insane to think about like because it's storming like I can't get on the internet or I don't have good connectivity 
So I think the biggest issue facing ag right now is certainly uh, rural broadband so that we can keep everyone connected, uh, keep rural communities connected to each other, but also keeping rural communities connected to urban, suburban communities, just to have, so all voices can be heard, so all information can transfer across. And so I'm, I'm looking forward and really hoping that COVID uh, maybe pushes harder uh, on making rural broadband a thing. You, talk, you hear people talk about rural electrification uh, back when that was a thing, but that was a very crazy idea that we would have electricity everywhere, especially in rural areas, but it happened. And this is gonna be kind of a crazy idea too that we're gonna have you know, reliable rural broadband everywhere, but it is possible. It's definitely gonna take some time and resources and we'll see you know, what comes from it. Yeah, and you, you said you grew up in Greene County, so I, I, I'm the county over from you in LaRue County. And I know sometimes here in LaRue County, and especially in Greene County and in Hart County, it's like you're in the middle of a desert sometimes. You have to find that perfect place on the hill, and then you have to raise your phone up to be able to send off a text. Um, so especially, you know, those three counties I just mentioned being, you know, very rural, not the most rural in our state, but um, struggling some of the most. I know that our county um, – is trying to bring like our churches here in this community have really come together and said you know we're going to put some of our funding that we you know are trying to get from these online services and we're going to put it towards allowing students to come into our parking lot and be able to do their schoolwork uh, and that that started happening when school shut down in march um, so you know i heard about the kentucky farm bureau thing and I know our uh, branch here, our office here in the county is gonna really work on that. But I know some things in our county and in Hart County um, too, are, they're really working on it. And Hardin County also, their school district is allocating funding um, to allow students, they're putting random hotspots in parks and in school parking lots and things like that um, for students. So I, I, that's been a common theme. Uh, Mallory said the same thing in our last interview um, accessible broadband. I know that was a focus of uh, Farm Bureau and Kyle Kelly uh, through the last legislative session. Um, I remember we learned that through our legislative page program that day. He told us about it. And I know my, my representative here, Brandon Reed, um, has been an advocate for it as well. So anything else you want to talk about, want to say to any of the listeners or anything? So I'll say that you were correct that your mom did serve as a state officer in 95, 96 which does mean not trying to age her or anything that uh, we look forward, this is gonna be my goal, is that we look forward to seeing her and her team in person for their 25th anniversary at the 2021 Kentucky FFA State Convention. So yes. Yes. that is I, uh, my ultimate goal. So. <laughs> I told her, um, I guess it was right after the, the virtual convention, um, I'm hoping, I have fingers crossed, I get to run for state office this year. And I said, how neat would it be that you know, I might get to usher you on stage this year while you go up there and be in person with your team. So right. I know she's excited about it. She um, she did mention, she goes, oh, my gosh, I'm that old. Um, I said, yeah, yeah, I think you're getting there, Mom. Um, so uh, yeah. uh, I know she's I'll, excited. I am too. Um, for sure. I, well, see, for me, I really, the next team after her team is the first team that I – that was serving when I was a freshman. So, mm -hmm. like – so I guess officially like next year will be like, I guess I'll say that I have been within the FFA realm for 25 years or so. So that's kind of crazy because yeah. 
90, the 97 state convention really feels not that long ago to me in a way. And at the same time, it feels like a lifetime ago. So, uh, you know, like I said, it's, for us, it's always been about, you know, we have to maintain the traditions and we have to find ways to innovate at the same time. And um, we want to have an in-person convention like we would normally have and recognize the state officers, but we're never going to do that and compromise, you know, just because we can't do it the normal way, we're not going to compromise and just say we're not doing anything. Uh, we're going to do all we can for the membership and uh, hopefully that can be in person and normal. And if it's not, we're, we're going to make it work uh, regardless. And when you've got, you know, almost 300 ag teachers across the state that are just absolutely committed to students and, and everything they can do to support them, you know, it makes this job and, you know, what we're pushing towards always worth it. And so it's, it's exciting. It's exhausting times, but exciting times. Uh, definitely keeps us on our toes. Yeah, and that 97 convention actually was uh, Miss Bivens, my teacher's uh, convention too. So right after, you know, yeah. next, the 2021 convention, 2022 convention, she'll be up there for her 25 year anniversary. So um, I guess right. two I special think... years for uh, people in my life when they were at state officers, so. That's true. Yeah, and, and I tell a, a Misty Miller, of course, was her name at the time when she was still, you know, representing the Garrett County chapter, was in college. And uh, I tell a, back in the day, way back in the day when I was a, a, a freshman, I was in the quiz contest that was at UK Field Day. And uh, this is one of those things, like, why do you remember weird stuff like this? <laughs> but there was a question they asked me, and I gave the right answer, but they had the wrong answer. Like in, and so they said I was wrong. Uh, and I've, and that like really hurt my feelings and everything. Uh, and like, so I didn't win the contest, obviously. But the thing was like, Miss Bivens, Miss Miller at the time, she was the one like asking the questions. Obviously she did not write the questions, you know, but I always kind of, I remember that moment. I was like, I don't like that Misty Miller person because like she told me, you know, she kicked me out of the contest. She had nothing to do with it. Like she was just reading like the questions and the answers as they were. Uh, but that was my first interaction with, with Misty Miller, now Misty Bivens, and uh, uh, it, it, everything went up from there. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, the quiz contest at UK Field Day, and Justin Smith was the one asking questions. And I think I still hold it against him to this day. He asked me, to, or he asked a team to answer all 12 regions. And I got every one of them. I got down to the last one, and I said the Kentucky Capital Region. I was trying to say the Capital City Region. <laughs> and he looks at me, and he goes, so wrong. And I went – and he goes, you got 11 out of the 12, right? And I went, you can't even count that towards anything. And so, I, we lost off that question to – I think it was like um, Western Hills. And, yeah. and then right after that, uh, the state fair, you were asking the questions – it came down to me and that Western Hills girl. And I was like, That's oh my right. gosh, it's this situation again. Um, but luckily you'd ask me, and again, things you randomly remember, you'd ask me who the National FFA Secretary was at the time. And I went completely like brainwashed or something. I just went, I had a brain yeah. fart. And I looked right at Miss Bivens and I went, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it. And I didn't, cause I, I couldn't remember the last name. So I yeah. was like, I'd take a step back and I think I almost collapsed when she didn't know either. Um, and I think like you got up there and I can't remember the question you asked me that I, but I just remember that's yeah. the one vivid thing I remember like forgetting that, looking right at Miss Bivens, mouthing, I'm not gonna say it. And then like she misses it. And I like literally about, cause I remember Joy was like right there behind me. Like she was kind yeah. of a pushing his head and alternating. And right. I like kind of like fell back. I was like, 
And she was like, go, go, go. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's uh, I've learned, I've done enough of the quiz contest at camp or at state. Like I can tell like when I ask a question and I can look at a member's eyes and I can tell either when they don't know or they do know. And the, my favorite is when they know, but they realize that they have forgotten or they can't pull it forward because it's a different look. There's kind of the blank, I don't know look. There's the confident look. And then there's this, can I find the spot in my brain where that piece of information exists? You know, when yeah. it's like, and I know it feels like you're standing there for hours, like in silence trying to think oh, yeah. about it. Well, it's just like that one memory, like just is hiding and you can't find it. And yeah. I knew the first name. It was insane. I knew the first name. I was like, if I say the first name, she's going to get it because I don't know the last name. So I just like took a step back and I was like, you know what? God's taking control now. And hopefully this is the destiny or this might be my fate. I really don't know. Yeah. Um, so thank you uh, for joining us today. We've had a really long podcast. I think of almost 45 minutes now. Um, so it's been fun. Uh, we get to talk about, growing worms and ostrich burgers and accessible broadband. So maybe that's the title right there. So thank you so much. And I hope the best in the future. I know you have a lot on your plate now, um, being an education consultant in this very, very hard, op unoptimistic time almost. You try to keep optimistic, but I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to stay straight in your mind when you have all this going on. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you for the listeners to joining in. Thanks, Isaiah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Ag. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and whatever else you may get your podcasts on. Make sure to subscribe and give us a rating. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Ag. You can see our website at www.beyondagpodcast.com. If you're interested in advertising with us, visit our website or email me at Isaiah at beyondagpodcast.com. Dot com. That is I-S-A-I-A-H at beyondagpodcast.com.